Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is June Lee. He is founder and co-CEO of Nabis. We're going to talk about the cannabis market, particularly California's market, and really what's going on in terms of the industry, really what it takes to kind of make the processes work. We're going to talk about supply chain. We're going to talk about data. We're going to talk about really kind of all the pieces that need to get in place in in an industry that is growing and expanding. I think this is a fascinating aspect of cannabis as the market matures, as the industry develops, like all the things that need to get put in place to make it work, right? We've seen a lot of issues around this in, in various markets, particularly California and particularly in the last year or two. And so, you know, understanding the opportunities and how companies like Navis are coming in and, and creating solutions that really make sort of the infrastructure of this whole industry really happen uh, and get us the cannabis we need and, you know, help with the growth of really where we're going with the cannabis world. So with that, June, welcome to the program. Yeah, uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So before we kind of dive into everything that's going on in California, what you're doing with Navis and all the kind of problems you're kind of solving with, with the market there, let's get a little background. What was your professional background? How do you get into cannabis? Tell us the story. Yeah, so I can start from college. So I attended Harvard, studied applied mathematics and computer science. And uh 
following kind of the footsteps of some of the people I respected in school, I uh, got into programming and eventually to tech. So after college, I worked at Facebook for about two years in the ads department as a software engineer. And uh, after that, I worked on a, a machine learning startup on the enterprise software side of things and uh, stumbled my way into cannabis in the middle of 2017. as more or less a side project between me and my best friend, Vince, where we were basically helping out a friend who owned the pre-roll company up in Humboldt to deliver his products in our spare time. And uh, in the process, we discovered a bit of an opportunity for wholesale distribution in California. And that's how we got here. Yeah. And what, I mean, what did you see at that point? Like what, what was the kind of challenges that, that you observed and, and what was your kind of analysis, diagnostic of why the industry was having this problem? So for those that are listening that are not super familiar with the industry, Prop 64, which is essentially the legalization bill in California for the sale of recreational cannabis, passed in 2017 and was implemented in 2018. However, there was actually a thriving cannabis market prior to Prop 64 under Prop 215, so called this kind of medical market. And it was a fairly sizable market with a decent amount of players in the field. But one of the uh, the major drawbacks of the Prop 215 was that it was extremely decentralized and there were basically no rules about how products should be transported and by whom. So it was a lot of backpacking in the industry where essentially uh, folks or mules would go up to uh, Humboldt or these farms, uh, pick up the flowers from the facilities directly and then um, haul them to the individual dispensaries and sell them out, uh, selling them out of the backpacks and things like that. And, uh, you know, initially we thought uh, it would be a cool idea for us to start a dispensary because I think I was primarily inspired by the coffee shops in Amsterdam and, you know, uh, during the time I spent a little bit of time in Europe. Sure. And, uh, you know, it just we quickly came to the realization that actually, okay, dispensaries are quite mature and they're not going to look all that different in the new market versus uh, the previous one. But this kind of handshake driven backpacking distribution service that um, these people were providing was a uh, poison change in a major way. Yeah. And I mean, this was I mean, it was it was pretty rough, like people are running them out of garbage bags, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cars and stuff. I remember, I remember the stories and kind of seeing people talk about like how really how basic and, and really, how do I say, like risky it was. Right. I mean, carrying around this kind of product, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of unscrupulous characters and then a lot of um, you know danger around actually you know, carrying this product and the situations people get in. So what was the first step? So you you saw the need, you started getting involved, like where was your entry point? What was the strategy? How did that play out? Yeah. So, you know, it'd be a lie to say we had a a super coherent vision very (laughs) from the beginning, but I think it initially started off with us realizing that moving products from point A to point B for businesses was a kind of viable and sound and profitable endeavor in the sense that at first we were doing maybe one or two deliveries a week. I quickly grew to three to four and to a point where we essentially had to purchase another vehicle and hire drivers. And, uh, you know, the solution that we provided was a breath of fresh air to the industry and in that we had a very simple value proposition. If you call us, we would show up on time, we would pick up your products on time and deliver it on time and in the process not steal anything. And that was such a radical idea in 2017 <laughs> that, yeah. you know, we were getting calls and referrals uh, left and right. And uh, I think by the time we were doing about five, six deliveries uh, consistently a week, we thought, OK, maybe there's something a lot more to this that we can scale. And then from then, our business plan was ultimately hinged on kind of our expertise, which is software engineering and for myself, uh, uh, large complex system design. So we took a look at it as a problem of engineering and how do we 
connect 3,000 cultivators and you know 2,000 dispensaries or retailers at the time in a way that's uh, meaningfully cost-effective and um, efficient. And uh, that's where kind of our uh, you know, engineers' gears started ticking, and we started building out the initial version of our software, which evolved now to be this kind of full coordination ERP that our brands use to ship out their products with a click of a button. Yeah. And how you were, I mean, it sounds like kind of a traveling salesperson problem, right? Like it's like you've got a series of points, a series of routes, a series of products kind of figuring out like the, what should the sizes of the vehicles be given the route size? What is the time frame? I mean, give us a sense of the kind of the algorithmic problems you were grappling with. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're, you, uh, you're, quite on the dot there that, you know, we have vehicles, we have drivers, uh, dispensaries with varying delivery times. So for example, we might know that dispensary A in San Francisco takes 25 minutes to uh, intake the products, but dispensary X in Oakland uh, checks every single unit and they actually take 65 minutes. Um, So there are kind of these nuanced considerations when you're working in a B2B space, but you know, ultimately, it's about the number of kind of uh, nodes that you have traversing the state and um, how often you can hit some of these uh, predetermined spots or licensed dispensaries. And, you know, there, there's further kind of variables that go into our routing and optimization, namely on the warehousing front. So right now, Navis promises a 36 hour or two day shipping throughout the state. And to facilitate that, we need to be able to move inventory overnight from our, for example, our Los Angeles facility up to Oakland and vice versa and making sure that all the staffs are there and processing the units, a number of units that they're expected to, uh, it all goes into consideration. Yeah. And so from a kind of a, I guess, logistics or kind of practical point of view, are you, you're, you're shipping on behalf of the producers or the cultivators, but you're not actually taking ownership of the product? Or how, how does that work from a, like, who's touching cannabis or who's touching product that needs to be licensed in different ways? Right. Uh, you're absolutely right. So we transfer products on behalf of cannabis businesses, primarily for cannabis brands. And uh, cannabis brands could be a cultivator. Uh, these days, there's a bit of a, a specialization and specialization. So, you know, essentially, there could be a lifestyle based cannabis brand that many uh, sources their product from, you know, multiple cultivators and then manufactures it through a co-packer. So, you know, our, our ultimate relationship lies with the brand. In terms of, you know, who are we buying and selling the product or, you know, distributing it on the, the balance sheet of our customers, currently Navis takes a position of never purchasing cannabis products or uh, selling it. So in the strictest sense, our balance sheet is not plant touching. But however, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we are very much plant touching in the sense that we actually physically pick up the products that load yeah, yeah. it into our truck, store it, etc. Yeah. And so talk to me about that, because I know a lot, a lot of the kind of challenges around running, you know, a cannabis business is the security requirements, the tracking requirements, knowing exactly, you know, what's where and accounting for everything. Like, what are some of the kind of general things anyone doing kind of distribution models has to worry about? Then what are some of the unique things when it comes to actually touching cannabis products? Right, right. And I think I could probably add a third section to that, what, what's unique about Navis at the scale that we operate in. But um, you're absolutely right. Cannabis is a very valuable agricultural good is actually I, I like to call it the most expensive vegetable grown in America where a pound <laughs> of it could go up to three thousand dollars in the, the wholesale market so it's extremely value dense and a typical cannabis warehouse that's you know even two thousand square feet could contain as much as uh, you know two million dollars worth of product so it does make it a very um, frequent target of crime and theft and things like that so you know I think uh, you don't have to look too far down in the news to to see which cannabis uh, companies have been affected by this over the years with civil unrest and so forth but 
something that we deal with at, at Navis is, you know, we have armed security guards 24-7 in, in, in all of our facilities and that we both deal with the, the products, but also the cash um, because banking is not readily available for yeah. a lot of cannabis operators. You know, the industry is still about 60% relying on cash. Now, what makes it kind of even more unique for Navis is that uh, Navis currently accounts for about 16% of the California market or about $300 million worth of wholesale goods. Uh, so in a retail market, that'd be something like $700 million worth of products that we process annually. And, uh, you know, to support that load, we are always in possession of uh, a significant amount of product and cash in, in our facility. So one of the uh, things that we sell is obviously the distribution and the shipping and the, and the services, but the other is trust that you know, once the products are in our possession, that it would be uh, kept safe. And you know we take our duties as a safeguard of, uh, of the products very seriously because of that trust that the industry yeah. places on us. Yeah, and not to give any way kind of proprietary secrets, <laughs> like what like what are some of the things you do to actually make that happen? I mean, you mentioned the armed guards. I mean, like, is there? I mean, I guess is you know when you look through the logistical risk, is this primarily around sort of the transportation side, the storage side? I'm mean, just I'm just kind of curious on really as you do risk analysis in this or, or sort of threat analysis on it, like and maybe some of the things that I wouldn't normally think of right, <laughs> that right. come up when you're dealing with this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, the risk assessment can only be done in the context of kind of insurance policies and so forth. So, you know, we're furnishing probably like 12 different types of insurances, cargo uh, policy, property yeah. ins- uh, insurance for theft and damages, uh, employee criminal insurance and, and, and so forth. So essentially when we deem that a potentially risky event, uh, could put us um, past the, the coverage of our insurance policy, we usually have uh, added security steps such as uh, a security guard accompanying a large pickup or yeah. a uh, armed security guard uh, patrolling our facilities at all times, as well as other kind of uh, non, I'd say, uh, less direct uh, security yeah. protocols, like, uh, for example, tamper-proof cash bags that are signed by both the driver and the the retailer uh, when we perform payment collections and so forth. And, you know, lastly, on the cash side of things, we also work with an armored trucking company that uh, clears out our cash on a daily basis so that we're not sitting on large sums of money. Yeah, no, I'm sure you're kind of thinking through all that. It can be and and dealing with cash. I mean, I I can't think of another industry right now that has to deal with physical cash the way cannabis does. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. There are some promising signs, I'd say, when we started out in 2018, uh, 95% of the industry was in cash. But now with the total amount processed, it's uh, hovering right around 60%. So I am optimistic about kind of the the payment optimization in the space. And I think there are a couple of players kind of leading the way for that. Um, Navis is actually currently working on a sort of an ACH uh, banking integration. So anyone or any cannabis business with a bank account can easily hook up to our payment system to pay directly. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. So tell me a little bit about technology, because I'm, I'm curious, you know, how much of this is kind of standard, you know, like any industry that would deal with this kind of distribution kind of challenges, both from a data and a scheduling and a kind of ERP management kind of stuff. Like what, what is it that stuff you were able to just kind of borrow either literally or at least conceptually from other industries? And what did you have to recreate? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'd say compared to more traditional distribution providers, uh, Navis can be intensely technology focused. So you know, I, I often tell our investors and folks in the industry that on the surface, we are a trucking company, but 
at our core and our mission, we're a technology company essentially trying to provide the essential tools and infrastructure for cannabis brands to ship out products uh, easily throughout the state and eventually uh, out to the nation. So, you know, there's some standard stuff that we borrow and uh, concepts. I mean, we, we do build most of our software from, from scratch. Any code that we rely on right now, I'd say 90% of it is uh, developed in-house. Uh, we have 15 full-time engineers, you know, initially based in San Francisco, but we uh, recently went full remote uh, due to COVID, as well as five product managers and so forth. So uh, we own that uh, tech stack um, quite a bit. Ideas that we can borrow include like traditional ERPs, warehouse management system, location-based inventory tracking, um, you know, QR coding, barcoding, transportation management systems like on fleet uh, that we use to optimize our routing and things like that. But everything else is custom built in the sense that there's this thing called uh, metric or C to C tracking yeah. in California, where essentially anytime products uh, switches hands, uh, you need to remit that via uh, either the metric API or uh, through the interface. And our software integrates very tightly with the, the uh, C2Sale tracking uh, system in each state. So with the whole idea that our kind of software is a beautiful wrapper around all the complexities and uh, our customers know how to think about those things. Yeah. So your customers are the brands. I'm curious, like, why do they use you? Like, what's the value proposition? What are the things they're concerned about? Like, what specifically are you solving for them? Sure. I think there's uh, two answers to that. One is what is kind of the inherent value that Navis provides as a scaled trucking company. And the second is how do we compare to our competitors in the market? Um, and the first is fairly straightforward, uh, which is that, um, you know, each individual brand owning and running their own distribution infrastructure would be one, extremely expensive and two, environmentally and energy very inefficient. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're trying to connect a couple thousand, essentially a, a group of shippers to a group of receivers, there are kind of economies of scale benefit that comes from consolidating that some of that work. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, the simple thing about trucking is that uh, the more you ship, the cheaper you can ship individual units with. And that's the fundamental principle that I think Navis is built on. Perhaps more interestingly, in the context of our competitors, and I'd say you know, wholesale distributors that have paved the way for us in the past, is that we're a totally neutral agnostic platform, which is fairly unusual for a wholesale distributor, uh, which means essentially we don't take any equity stake in brands. We don't endorse one brand over another. We're essentially uh, the Switzerland of cannabis where any brand of any size can launch their products and gain access to our infrastructure. And I think... Uh, you know, one thing that's really cool is that it kind of keeps the door open for innovators and younger, smaller brands to enter the market. So I think there's a kind of a moral cause that we serve there. But, but perhaps more importantly is that uh, we ultimately believe in the free market and consumers choosing and, and choosing what products that they, they want to purchase. So instead of kind of stifling innovation by saying, OK, these are the brands that we're going to allow in through our gate, uh, essentially being a gatekeeper, we focus on providing choice and access for the lowest possible cost uh, so that, you know, we can have a more exciting cannabis market with product competition and churn and things like that. Uh, you know, and a uh, quick analogy here is, um, for example, tobacco companies. I mean, when was the last time you saw a new tobacco brand? you know, behind the counter at a gas station. And it's probably, uh, the answer is probably a while. Yeah. Mostly because, uh, you know, a couple of companies have a very tight grip on those markets. And uh, I don't think that ultimately it serves the interest of the consumers. Yeah. And, and where do you see the industry going that way? I mean, is this, is it going to go with this kind of neutral platform kind of model? Or are we going to start seeing these kind of 
tightly coupled collections of brands with their own kind of distribution systems and infrastructure? Like how how do you guess this is going to evolve? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that we we think about uh, and talk about deeply at Navis. And I think the answer to that question depends on how well we do. So, you know, you could kind of accept the faith of the industry as this kind of a uh, greater force that you don't have influence over. But at Navis, we like to believe that at least our work can contribute to changing that direction in some way or another. The future that we envision is a more open market that is um, populated with essentially more neutral players like Navis. And I think that's kind of consistent with some of the trends we're seeing in other industries. For example, the rise of e-commerce and mono brands have shifted a lot of the bargaining power from the retailers and the gatekeepers to the actual brands that are communicating and you know uh, getting in touch with their customer base directly. And I think cannabis will probably follow a certain uh, trend from that or bar from it at least. You know, there are certainly other states like Florida or Illinois or and so forth that are vertically integrated, which means that yeah. uh, the state mandates the, the cultivator is owned by the same company that manufactures a product that, you know, distributes and sells a product. You know, and there are certain benefits uh, such as ease of regulation, stability of the market and things like that, you know, that model has. But I think ultimately the U.S. is a free market economy. And I think that eventually the market will resemble the, the overall market. Yeah. Yeah. What have been some of the challenges? I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, developing software, you mentioned kind of getting traction in, you know, with the brands, you know, taking on figuring out how to kind of work out the logistics. Where have been the big lifts in terms of getting the business, you know, to the place that it is today? Yeah, great question. So just to recap, we're currently distributing about 16% of the California market, about $30 million or so a month uh, in wholesale value across 150 brands. And, you know, there's about 1400 retailers in our network. You know, I'd say the first two years of our business, we were very much focused on kind of laying the foundation for our physical infrastructure. So there are bare minimum things that you need in order to run a statewide distribution business. We felt strongly that we needed a uh, warehouse hub in the Bay Area. We chose Oakland and then another one in SoCal or, uh, you know, we chose Los Angeles. So initially it was kind of setting up the, of those nodes and then uh, connecting them with daily routes um, of trucks that cover the state. You know, I think our at first when we were just kind of getting referrals from one brand to another, you know, we built out the infrastructure step by step or iteratively. And then I think our big inflection point as a company was right in the middle of 2018. We signed on a brand called Candescent, uh, who we no longer work with, but they were our first enterprise client that allowed us to kind of build out all of our routes. And then for all the subsequent business that we got from that, uh, we just ended up kind of bolstering the route over time. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, economies of scale businesses are difficult to kind of get in motion. But once they are, the idea is that things get cheaper and easier to do. Yeah. And uh, I'm just kind of curious on how you've kind of capitalized the company. I mean, you know, obviously developing software is not cheap. you got to hire a bunch of people. You know, if you're dealing with trucks and warehouses, right, those are pretty hard assets to capitalize. I mean, like what has been, what's that been like? Have you like, give us a sense of the investment process? Where have you found capital? For sure. So at a high level, Navis has raised about $44 million to date. Um, okay. About 39 of that was equity funding. So more traditional venture uh, rounds that we've done seeds, uh, series A and series B. We also have additional funding million in equipment financing or debt. You know, I think the the part that is 
important to cover is, you know, we were faced with this dilemma early on in the company of whether we need to brand ourselves as a technology company or a plant touching business. And the distinction is very important because once you essentially declare yourself plant touching, the vast majority of capital that's out there becomes ineligible to invest in your business due to LPA restrictions or they draw money from government pension funds and et cetera that prevent them from touching anything that's federally legal. And, uh, you know, which is why we've kind of seen the rise of these ancillary technology driven uh, cannabis companies like Weed Maps or Dutchy or LeafLink and so forth that are raising at much higher valuations and in a much uh, better kind of equity position. So we thought about that for a while where we said, okay, we're software engineers, our core competencies in software. So do we really want to be plant touching and kind of uh, put ourselves uh, in this handicap? And, uh, you know, after some debate, we, we came to the conclusion that we do because ultimately uh, we believe that an integrated system with both software and infrastructure is the only way that we can provide the 21st century consumer experience that people have come to expect. You know, and what I mean by that is when you go to Amazon.com and click you know, purchase now, you expect that to be at your doorstep in two days, you know, without you having to check on it, uh, etc. And that experience is simply not possible if you are not, you know, the one actually orchestrating the infrastructure. So, you know, I thought we thought that ultimately, it was a a choice that we had to make to go back to your original question of how how do we uh, raise our funding? um, I think we were fortunate in that uh, early on, we went through Y Combinator. So we were in the winter uh, 2019 batch. Uh, so I think that definitely served as a bit of a seal of legitimacy to be uh, supported by uh, an institution like that. And uh, since then, we've raised uh, from kind of affiliate funds or folks that are closer within the YC network, as well as uh, more cannabis focused investors that have uh, noticed our growth in the market. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have been able to stitch together the round in such a way that we're more capitalized. Yeah. And have you found, I mean, is the investment world shifting, adopting? I mean, I know that, you know, four or five, six, seven years ago, you know, it was not many people were doing direct placements and high cannabis companies. It was kind of hard. A lot of the traditional sources of the capital really wouldn't touch it. Is that shifting? Where do you you see that going? It's certainly shifting in the favor of the industry. In my opinion, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't go as far as saying, you know, there's essentially no restrictions uh, because there still are and uh, they're quite, I'd say, onerous. But I would say for the funds that were on the fence in 2018, most of them are investing in cannabis today. So I I see that as a good sign. Yeah. And just kind of curious on how you see the market evolving. We've we've got various legislation of interstate commerce trying to actually legalize at a federal level. And, you know, what's your crystal ball? Like when and how do you see this playing out? How do you respond to it from a business point of view? Give us some insights. Yeah. So when you're running a distribution business, uh, you really can't evaluate it, you know, with the assumption that you will be limited to a locality. There's a reason why there's uh, only, you know, three UPS, yeah, USPS and, uh, and, and FedEx uh, that, you know, dominate the, the shipping market and at least on the third party side in, in the U.S. And we very much think that the viability of our business is entirely dependent on our ability to scale nationally. With that being said, we think a lot about, okay, assuming that this is happening in the future, how can we lay out our infrastructure and how can we devise our out-of-state expansion strategies such that would be most strategically located in, uh, you know, at the time of transition? Now, if you, if, you know, if you had to put me on the spot and say, okay, when is federal legalization <laughs> going to happen? I mean, the quick answer to that is I don't know, but my, my guess is that it's going to be in the next five to eight years. Um, you know, I think there's some speculation that uh, that folks are having that Biden may use it as a as a platform for re-election. Yeah. 
um, you know, depending on his popular support. Um, I think there's uh, generally a bipartisan consensus around cannabis needing to be descheduled and so forth, but it's a lot of political inertia that's uh, getting in its way. Yeah. And um, any big uh, kind of strategic moves, things that you're working on right now in terms of, you know, growth of the industry, you know, strategic moves of the product? I mean, what, what can you tell us a little bit about how you're approaching things? Yeah, so I can kind of chunk that up into three sections. One is kind of our infrastructural uh, investments in California. Second would be our investments in uh, other states. And then third would be just kind of our, our general effort to work with the government as a primary stakeholder and so forth. And obviously, there are a new, uh, myriad of other problems that we're working on. But, you know, we most recently closed our Series B funding round of $28.5 million in July of last year. And the majority of those funds is currently uh, allocated to go towards our uh, next phase of infrastructural expansion. So namely, we're building this new facility from scratch in a small town called Woodlake in California. It's uh, right outside of Visalia. And uh, we're, we're dubbing it the Navis Super Center. So essentially at completion, it'll be a 350,000 square feet campus wow. estimated to be able to accommodate 60 to 70 percent of the entire market. So, you know, the initial phase one of that is going to complete this year about 86,000 square feet of, uh, you know, state of the art warehouse space. We're going to be adding a lot of robotics and automation conveyor belts uh, into that as well. But strategically kind of located equidistantly from Oakland and L.A., it provides one, really good access to the entire state, but also it's on the eastern side of the state. So it's kind of the mouth to outer state expansion uh, later down the road if, uh, you know, interstate commerce becomes legalized. So we're super excited about that. The second side is uh, we're definitely excited to evaluate other states outside of California. And, you know, the promise that we've made to our investors is that uh, before our next round of funding, we would accomplish 20% market share in California and at least be able to prove that we can replicate our business model in another state. We're looking at the East Coast very carefully. There are a couple of states that we're uh, very keen on. New York seems to be the highest kind of contender right now. You know, with that being said, it's it's likely that we'll start commencing operation uh, right around early 2023 when the licenses are scheduled to be uh, sent out. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd say lastly, you know, some other exciting efforts on our team right now is, you know, now that we're paying over 5% of the California excise and cultivation taxes, we're starting to kind of have a more cordial conversation with the regulators on uh, reforming some of the tax policies. And sure. there is a, a large movement happening right now called Less Taxes, More Retail, uh, led by uh, Mikey Steinmez at, at Flocana. And the proposition is simple, that essentially California operators are in dire need of more retail outlets to reach their consumers and also a holiday on some of the taxes so that uh, they can reasonably compete against the black market. So, yeah, I think it's one of the first times that the entire industry has gone behind an idea. And Mm -hmm. Governor Newsom actually uh, recently supported cannabis tax reform in his budget call yesterday. So um, we're optimistic that that might yield to something good for the industry. Yeah. And this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Navis, what's the best way to get that information? People can reach out directly to me at junjune at navis.com. Or if you're interested in working with Navis partnerships at navis.com. And you can also read more about our services on our website, www.navis.com and so forth. Excellent. I'll make sure all that is in the show notes here. Jun, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Bruce. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. 
You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.